Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. This is a special episode of the podcast, the first of its kind, and it's a conversation with my good brother, Daniel Robert, who is also the community manager of the Mythic Masculine Network. With our official launch happening last week, I thought it would be a supportive offering to share more about the origin and intention behind the network, as well as some of Daniel's story and how it came to be that we are collaborating on this growing community of artists, activists, scholars, and mythopoets. In our talk, we speak about how he found his way to men's work, our showdown in the Brother Dome at the Sacred Sons Convergence, and understanding men in the current crisis of meaning in our culture. And finally, we share in depth about the Mythic Masculine Network and why you might be inclined to join us. If you'd like to head straight there, visit network.themythicmasculine.com. Otherwise, please enjoy my conversation with Daniel Robert. I'm joined here in studio on a small island off the coast of Vancouver, Salish Sea, uh, by a collaborator, a friend, good brother, uh, community manager of the newly launched Mythic Masculine Network, Daniel Robert. Welcome to this special episode of the podcast. Thank you, Ian. I'm uh, I'm honored to uh, to be here, and that there be a whole special edition for my uh, arrival onto the show is uh, quite an honor. Thank you for having me. It's a tradition on the show for me to ask the guests uh, to describe a little of where they are in this moment, where they, whether spiritually, physically, emotionally, mythically. And uh, I would love to ask that of you in this moment as you are the, you are the special guest on this episode. Yeah. Thank you. Just dropping in here to my, to my inner, inner world. And, uh, honestly, there's some nerves for me. You know, as I've said, this is my first time on a podcast ever. So feeling, uh, a light bubbling of warm energy in, in my body and, uh, in a sort of anticipation for what might emerge in our conversation today. Physically, you and I are in a small cabana style studio office, which you've taken a temporary residence in. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous sunny day, which is coming as a beautiful respite after about a week and a half of being blanketed by forest fire smoke. And you and I have been discussing this sort of just oppressive, uh, isolatory nature of that smoke and waking up today and, and seeing the sun and the, the fresh air, it's rejuvenating. So I'm definitely feeling uh, renewed. And just after we, we've had another new moon and launched the network, there's a lot going on. And so it's really, it's really great to be here with you today and, uh, have an opportunity to discuss what we've been up to and, uh, make known our, Master plan. Master plan. <laughs> yes. Our intentions. Our yeah. intentions with with the network. Um, that's a great segue into speaking more clearly of our intention for this episode, which is to, I think on the one hand, actually give you a bit more of the spotlight of which uh, you've been largely behind the scenes um, in the Mythic Masculine Network while we've been in private beta these last few months. And like you said, with the official launch, now it's a bit more kind of like stepping out, um, both in the network and the network stepping out more to the world. 
And so I'd love for the listener to get a little more of your story and how we met. And, and we'll turn to that in a moment. And then the other intention is to share more deeply about like, what is the Mythic Masculine Network? You know, what is its purpose? What does it serve? Even, even as it remains somewhat mysterious to us in, in how it's come about and what need it may be responding to, especially at this time, you know, culturally, uh, mythically. And uh, yeah, we'll hopefully wrap that up in about an hour. So thanks for joining us, uh, listener. Yeah, for the... For the faithful listener, I will uh, I'll do my best to draw out the the Ian McKenzie I know here. Maybe get a little get a little playful. See what happens. I'd love to begin with uh, first question over to you. Maybe speaking a little bit how we met. Yeah, we were uh, where where to begin? Um, well, I had I knew of you. I was living on a community here, and one of the staples or the most significant rhythms of that community and what really I think drew me to it and had me stay there for uh, a number of years was a practice called forum, which we did weekly. And I loved forum. I fell in love with forum right away. And I had heard that it was seated in the community actually by you. And I didn't know really who you were. I think I'd seen you come a couple of times to the farm and there was a point where you had come in seated council practice uh, as another offering for us to explore. This was a community of about anywhere from 15 to 30 people. And so we were gathering to do forum, which is a practice that comes from Tamara. We don't need to get into the details. Um, but so you were the kind of this mysterious figure bringing communal support tools to this place that I, I had, I had found and, and that had become my home. And so I was curious about you um, and that curiosity had time to, I suppose, be seated and, and, and uh, sprout eventually. And uh, so fast forward maybe like a year or two and I was working at a local cafe here on the island and it was a cafe and also a hand curated bookstore. And so there's about maybe like a hundred rotating titles that were on display and they were um, handpicked by the owner. And sure enough, uh, the book Die Wise by none other than Stephen Jenkinson was there and eventually uh, also Come of Age I saw on, on the walls there. And the owner had mentioned it to me. Oh, you know, this guy and he's uh, speaks a lot about death and spent years in palliative care. And the cover of Come of Age was particularly striking to me. There's this like really gorgeous old piece of like driftwood on the front. And even the title itself was just striking. Um, the subtitle is actually the case for elderhood in a troubled time. That's right. Or a time of trouble. Yeah. And so these were actually concepts for me that I hadn't really wrestled with yet, but had some sense of their value and their absence in, in my world. Um, elderhood, uh, grief, death. It was not something regularly being explored in my in my circles, maybe something that I had leaned into a little bit in my own journey, uh, but not something I had found a communal space to wonder about together. And so uh, I skipped some of the details, but there was a moment where I pulled the book off the shelf and I just knew something in me was just like, I need to read this book. I don't know why, but uh, I'm going to take it. And so I put it on my, my tab there at the cafe and I brought it home and I dove in and 
Oh, what a treasure trove of language that book is. I think I spent the entire book being confused, (laughs) (laughs) but deeply enjoying the process. I don't know if I'd ever been invited to wonder in such a way. And before I got into that, I had read the acknowledgments and sure enough, uh, your name is, uh, is in the acknowledgments there. And so I was like, what? Ian knows the author of this book. Um, and as I, again, as I had gotten deeper into it and found this real, uh, love for the material and appreciation for the, the concepts and the imagery presented, I started speaking to others in my community and being like, who, who knows Ian? Well, I need to know Ian. I know that I need to know Ian. Um, and jokingly, I had spoken with a few friends and said, Ian and I are going to be best friends. I'm going to court him into my life. We're going to be, we're going to be bros. I know it. And it was this like sort of joke and people were talking about me stalking you. And I was watching all your YouTube videos with, uh, with Steven. And, um, I just felt a resonance, you know, there, there was something where I was like, Oh, this is someone in my local community who is exploring the edges of the edges. I considered myself someone who explored edges and, had found myself in quite a radical living situation in community um, and had some sense that you had some, some gifts for me, some, some better questions for me. And so I sought you out and, and I sought you out, not by necessarily coming directly to you, but really making a, almost like an offering to, the gods, if you will, of like, Hey, I really would like to be in a connection with this person. And I let that go. I just put it down and, and let it go and, and, and figured it would find its time. It's a small Island. Like we, like we said, so there's a certain inevitability of, that we would eventually cross paths again. Where does that take us to? So sure enough, I think it was only maybe about four months later that on the, on the farm I was living on the community I was living at, uh, you in cahoots with the, with the owner of the place, you, the two of you were bringing a multi-day forum intensive practice to the farm. And of course I was going to go to that, as I mentioned, big love for forum. Uh, and this was my shot. <laughs> this was my opportunity. Uh, you know, there was so much going on that weekend and I had intended to to maybe drop in a little deeper with you but we were in this very uh, intense intense exploration communal exploration and i didn't even need to uh come talk to you because by the end of that weekend you had invited me and my partner at the time to come and live with you and and your partner and and your uh your child your son who at the time orin was probably how old? Not even a year. Mm-hmm. Not even a year old. That's right. And you were cooking up this this other communal project. I don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, sure. Take it from there. Yeah, I can speak to that moment at the forum practice because I I recognized. I think I'd seen in the community a little bit, you know, here and there, but yeah, I hadn't really made contact. And then for whatever reason, I think near the end or by the end of that weekend intensive, it was very clear to me that there was a there was an obvious outcome to what the next step was with you and your partner. Cause I think, like you said, obvious resonance and without getting too, you know, woo about it, it just felt like the universe was like, Oh yeah, this is obvious. Like this is the next step for 
an invitation for them into the community project that we were doing. And so in some sense, I was just responding to that recognition. Um, Tamara uses this word. Tamara, by the way, is a community in Portugal, which um, I'm making a film about with two other directors called Love School. Um, lots could be said there, but just to say that they have a language around this word, entelechy, uh, which is essentially a thing's capacity or, or ability to be fully itself or, or like the idea that, you know, the acorn seed has all of the information to become an acorn tree. But it, it's not inevitable. It's not like fate. It just needs certain conditions in order to grow and to flourish and to become its fullness. And I use that understanding for like moments and and momentum um, where it's clear, you know, you meet somebody and people say that sometimes, right? They're like, oh, I feel like I've known them a long time or I've known them in other lifetimes or whatever. There's these other ways of recognizing some kind of resonance or shared work together. And so for me, that's what it was. It was like, oh, oh yeah, this is obvious. So the extension of the invite came from that just the sense of knowing um and i can speak a little bit of that about what became you know into the project yeah sure um and and again this this is a whole other conversation i'd love to have probably a whole other podcast about it at some point um but it really was a experiment with um i would say a couple different factors but one being um a kind of field uh, research, which uh, Tamara is big on as well, like uh, fields, um, sort of energetic fields or resonant fields between people and as well as this principle of emergence. And that's a huge theme as well, which again, I'd love to open up more fully at some point. Um, but really it was emergence as this ability to show up in presence and, and commitment with a group of people and to just see what would happen. Like in some ways that was really like, I think the core of it trusting that if we were able to attune to again this um this intelligence or this knowing of life in in the moment that whatever was needed would would arise like it would show itself and then as a group we could have the courage and the willingness to follow it and so that led us down some pretty incredible you know places and and discoveries and frustrations and all the rest and again big big story but um at this moment, just to say that I think we we were able to navigate in some really deep places of shared intimacy with a group. In total, it was eight, I think eight, including uh, my son, um, ultimately for about a three-month period in the project. And then with um, an intentional closing that happened in about mid-June of this year, um, where because there was various factors around um, the, the home and the ownership shifting or just availability of the space shifting, um, other kind of closings happening uh, amongst each other in different ways. And it just sort of was clear that, that we were completing something. And um, I would say a thread alongside this, which I'd love for you to speak to, is um, this thread of men's work, this thread of myth and men's work that had happened. You know, you, you, you and your partner moved in the summer of 2019. Yeah. And then we found and discovered uh, a sort of collaborative um, men's, a collaborative passion for men's work, uh, of which you know, for you it seemed it was pretty new. For me, I'd at this point been about four or five years in men's work. And um, in some ways I needed to have a collaborator in which to invite the next uh, something in. And I'd love for you to take it from here. Yeah, uh, well put. I, I, I look at almost the, the communal the communal project and the communal living situation that we have been in now 
uh, for over a year. There was the project that was, that was a couple of months, but we've, you and I've still been exploring this community intention, I'd say for the whole last year, along with others, uh, in our midst. That's almost like the container that allowed us to tap men's work together. And maybe this is a moment for me really to share my, uh, my gratitude to you. In, in the way that you have beckoned me in to this work and intentionally burdened me, it, it has really made my life all the more richer. Yeah, I mean, I'm really at a different place in myself and, and in terms of my sense of purpose in the world, I would say uh, largely because of what you've asked of me and, and what you've seen in me and, and helped me also see. And, and that came through a couple of key moments if we're talking specifically about men's work and, and myth. And the first, I believe, was the, the suggestion that we run a group you and I, we, we co-lead a group. We had a couple of other uh, central collaborators in that effort, but I, I think I can say confidently that you and I were really holding the thing. And you were coming in with just like these huge visions and, and already the work that you had done in men's work. And for me, it was pretty new. I think it was, it was a natural draw. I, I was almost also naturally drawing other younger men toward me, especially at the time where I was living in community. Um, I was one of the the older men there at, in my late twenties and there's a lot of men in their early twenties and there's, we, we found this kind of flow together. So when you suggested the, the men's uh, cycle, uh, we, we had this sort of group of guys who were ready we were like, yeah, we want to do something like this. And the, the beautiful part and the striking part and the thing that I wasn't expecting and that I didn't know I needed yet was myth. And, and that came in the form of Iron John. And that was your suggestion that we actually do a cycle where we move through and read through Iron John and really embody Iron John in in the sessions themselves, in the circles themselves. And that was just, I, I don't even know what to say about that. It was incredibly beautiful. It, it just wove in these threads to what does it mean to be, to be brothers together? What does it mean to take a look at our longing, our wounding, our, our immaturity, our, and, and really the cultural deficit that we are in? So, so that cycle here on the island was incredible. And the, the shared resonance between you and I, and this almost just like supernatural ability to just get it with each other and be able to like drop into these emergent spaces and kind of be like, okay, what's next? Okay. You got what's next. Great. Okay. Hey, Oh, I have this impulse. Let's, let's like kind of jam on this. Where, where does this want to go? And it was this beautifully structured and also emergent and tender and embodied experience. 
I'd love to add just a note that, you know, as you're saying this, um, it reminds me of an interview I did with Michael Mead for the podcast earlier this year, where he spoke about the relationship between uh, essentially wildness and, and structure um, and how they need each other, you know, to flourish and how that's really the heart of a real ritual is not going through the motions of something that's already set. Because in some sense, you know, if something's too structured, um, it becomes a sort of just going through the motions. Um, and if it's too loose, then it just becomes, you know, just too, it's too open. Um, so I feel like, yeah, we were able to tap from our experiences in forum of which, uh, just to clarify too, for the listener, sometimes when they hear forum, the other big example or the use of that language is in landmark, um, of which I have not done landmark forum. I, I understand it. It is very different than what we're speaking to forum, uh, as Tamara uses it is sort of a, sort of a gestalt group process um, held by two facilitators typically that invite in community members to essentially act out elements of their shadow or like uncovered layers to move to a place of revealing truth in community and being witnessed. So anyway, that's a little bit of it, but it very much is this kind of dance with emergence and an intuitive um, co- collaboration between the facilitation and whoever's in the middle along with the, the, the group of people there too. And so I feel like certainly we were drawing upon that experience um, in the men's work, which is something I would say was not um, something I'd seen before in 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 men's spaces. You know, I'd done Mankind Project Weekend, um, been in other spaces. Um, we later went on to visit Sacred Sons Convergence, which we can speak to in a second. Um, and again, there's something in this collaborative um, weaving of a kind of forum, intuitive um artistry or, or magic in with the men's work and myth that was beyond like i still look back and I'm like what was that that was incredible yeah it was and it's it's amazing to see what that circle has become for the other men who, who were who were there with us um so not just for you and i was it beyond but for them as well it was anchoring they really were anchored into something different um bringing in iron john allowed this like being woven into a bigger story and maybe this is one of the other we can get to sacred sons we're both wearing our our sacred sons merch right now represent shout out to sacred sons <laughs> um what was i saying oh th- this is what wants to, what i wanted to say though was service i really felt and we we got this reflection from one of our our brothers tyler at a certain point, he really sort of looked at the two of us and was like something about your third, as in the the connection between us was so effortlessly service-based. It was like, it's the first time in my life I found someone that just like, there's a, there's some unspoken understanding between us. And when we turn to face the world, we, we naturally bring our gifts and we want to serve and we want to contribute and we want to be part of a bigger story. Um, and I just, I so appreciate having someone like that in my life. <laughs> I getting a little soft here. <laughs> I don't thank you enough, I suppose. And so, you know, you know, you're often here you are in service on the podcast, you know, constantly uh, putting out all of these gifts for others to take in and, 
And I know how many people who listen to this show really just appreciate what you're doing. And so maybe I can be a voice for them in this moment and really just lift you up and, and share, share my gratitudes, honestly. And, and really, I don't say it enough. You're, uh, to say you're like a big brother to me would be, uh, an understatement. And you know, I got some stuff for you too. Like, that's not, <laughs> no doubt. Let's not get it confused, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. So service, I really just appreciate the way that we both show up in service. And and so we can move into the sacred sons piece. It was actually during that, that cycle of the iron John circle, we were, we were co-facilitating, uh, that the opportunity came up to go to the sacred sons convergence in, in San Diego. And, uh, you had been invited to go and sort of check it out and, and produce this piece afterwards. And you, again, this is another moment folks where Ian was like, Dan, come with me you know, come with me. Let's do this together. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, is this, uh, um, but Ian really, again, he just called me in. He's like, do you need to do this? We need to do this. There's something bigger is afoot here. Uh, and so I said, yes. Oh, and I was like, I think I like didn't have the money and I was all concerned and I had been like living in community and, and not working a lot and, and kind of living this like floating life between, between worlds. And that was a really a big moment to say yes to that for me and the experience. I don't know. Maybe you want to share a little about it, but uh, um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear from you. I appreciate that uh, reflection from your side. The, again, for me, that was another example where I was like, Oh, this is obvious. <laughs> Dan's supposed to come with me. This is obvious. So I feel like I was just responding to what was sort of a, just already true. And I mean, certainly there was a decision you had to make was to say yes. And that wasn't inevitable either. Like the willingness to step in and, and take that uh, opportunity. So yeah, I respect that you were willing to say yes to it. And, and for me that, yeah, it was clear that, oh yeah, there's, this is in service to this something that was um, wanting to come through. And as far as the sacred sun's convergence itself, I mean, overall, I would say I was really surprised by, um, I'd never been in a space for that many days. In this case, it was what, three, three days or so. I mean, we arrived, I think the day before and, um, really stepped into what felt like almost like a mini festival for men <laughs> was, <laughs> was really what it became or what I, I discovered it to be, which was very different than anything I'd experienced before. And I will say that, uh, earlier on, even with as much, you know, men's work that I'd done, um, which again, it was not, it's not a ton. I mean, five, six years at that point. And there's other men who've been doing this kind of thing for decades, right? And I mean, that's what so many of my interviews are meant to be, is like interviewing these the men that have been doing it for a lot, much longer. So whatever, I had had some time in and, and a level of comfort with men that I feel I, I had come to. And uh, walking around the the grounds there uh, for the Sacred Sons, it was a, on the a presence of this kind of like hesitation or this... Um, uh, anxiety of like, oh, what are we going to do for four days with like just men? And it was pretty quick by the next morning when we woke up and really the the buzz started arriving and the men started, the rest of the men started to come. And I think we all dropped in actually with the, with the facilitators or the main kind of co-fathers, they call themselves, um, Ober, Adam and um, Jason. And how there was a real welcoming and a real sense of their hearts, right? That they were really sincere in what they were trying to do that it was like flipped entirely. And I was like, yeah, this is like a men's festival. Amazing. And 
that's really what it became. And I feel like I totally said yes at that point and, and you did too. And um, yeah, it was profound to just be led to these different um, pillars that they have around, I think it was like cognitive and physical and um, a couple more. Um, relational. Yeah. I think relational. Um, and, and the level that which they brought, um, I mean, yeah, kind of a festival culture actually, but mixed with men's work was actually quite something I'd never seen before. In some ways culminating in uh, one experience with, um, it's called, uh, in, in some places, mankind projects called carpet work here. I think it's just called maybe shadow work. Um, but some of the deepest healing processes that, that they offered. And, um, at one point there was, uh, one of the fellows participants with a Han drum uh, playing like live Han drum while these other men are going through some really intense, you know, like physical, um, often loud, cathartic processes. And here he is like jamming away with his, with his Han drum. And the, the fusion was so beautiful, actually. It was just so, I was like, oh, why, it, why haven't we done this before? So I do feel like there was a lot of um, just inspiration and imagination that I was appreciating. And by the end of it, yeah, just a deep sense of of gratitude and um, yeah, just the, the the heart, you know, that was there certainly that that I just felt really grateful to have been in that experience. Um, and certainly at the same time, there was some key pieces that felt, you know, that, that still missing for me in these kinds of events, which could be a you know a larger podcast, not just with Sacred Sons, but I mean a larger critique in a sense of a sort of. Um, yeah, what's what's missing in this m- movement? Let's say um, around the lack of real eldership. You know, for one, um, I think the age group was largely a, a similar range um, uh, for men. Um, and there was some. There was one elder we met uh, who was in the in the honorary seat, uh, and uh, he he you know was was reading poetry to the men. And there was a be- really beautiful moment actually, uh, Wanye, if you're listening, uh, where he was reading from the Rag and Bone Shop of the Heart. Uh, to the men like sitting on this rock like looking down and it was such a beautiful and it felt like an old ancestral moment you know that like as if the men from the village had gone and gathered in this way and they were doing this important work and here was this older man who was you know speaking from his seat not lording over but just like really commanding attention um, from a from a perspective that is appropriate to one in the seat of elder Um, and there's more I could say about that but Overall, yeah, it just was a combination of, of magic and beauty and heart that uh, I think for us really brought us even deeper. Mm. Yeah, certainly. Um, it was a sort of pilgrimage too for uh-huh. the two of us to head down there. And we we took ferries and we took planes and the cars and we the land as well there. Yeah. The, just the ancient, there's these like huge boulders in this desert area, this sort of low mountain looking over top of the the area which this this four-day event was happening i appreciate that you bring up the the moment where the co-fathers sort of addressed i think it was like the group before the full group arrived like you said we had arrived a day early and um yeah there was a a really defining moment for me there when obear shared and he spoke to his his sense of devotion to men and it rocked me. Like I felt that from him and it scared me too, because I was like, Whoa, what, you know, we, here we were, you and I, and we had, we were running the circle and there was sort of like these, these brothers who in in some sense were in our care. Uh, You know, we were bringing 
these offerings each week and, and really doing this meaningful work. And when Aubert shared, like, I'm devoted to every man who walks in here. I just like, whew, it was such a big thing. I was, I really wondered what would it be for me to hold a similar energetic in men's work? Could I even do that? Um, and so it gave me this, this, uh, aim, I'd say sort of like energetic aim of like, Oh, I could embody that too. Um, but it would ask more of me than I currently know how to muster. Um, and so that's worthwhile. So again, these moments where I'm being called into a bigger picture and into a bigger sense of service and beckoned beyond my own interest in personal development and more into this world, which I think you've been holding for a long time of cultural regeneration and really seeing men's work and these questions around myth and masculinity um, being one aspect of that movement towards really establishing, rooting, solidifying a, a different kind of culture in the world. And, and that had left me, you know, the culture I found myself in was, I was so disillusioned, which I know is a positive thing, but also wandering. That's sort of how I got here. I just had been wandering of like, there's, I don't see anything here worth doing. And this is like my old life before I had moved to the, to the West coast. And it was through this kind of like, okay, I guess I'm just going to wander and, and, and let it be. And in time, I sort of stumbled my way into, okay, community projects. Okay. I started to come in touch with, uh, Tamarin wisdom, which again, you had, you had brought here and then, okay, oh, well, I have this connection with, with this, this other man who's interested in these things as well. Um, so huge shout out to Aubert and that r- really how true the place he was speaking from was so true from my perception. And it called me up in a new way. Another key moment from, from that, uh, the convergence is the sacred sun's convergence. Like we had said, there was the cognitive, um, cognitive exploration. There was the relational exploration and there was the the physical exploration. And, uh, the physical exploration was being facilitated by a man, Trevor spring and his, his thing is called wild and wise. And, uh, so we come out to this, it's, they call it the brother dome. It's like a geodesic dome structure in like a sand pit. And it's a bit like Mad Max feeling, you know, the classic Mad Max or Burning Man, like that kind of, um, neo future. Yeah. Reminiscent of the Thunderdome at, yeah. uh, at Burning Man, if you've ever been N- not quite as intense, but you can picture there's like guys hanging off the sides of the, of the circle. There's some drums in the center and we're like slowly building into, um, wrestling. So we're giving some really simple games to keep it safe at the beginning, but it's kind of like this on ramp into a full on opportunity to wrestle with other men who are here and to be physical with each other and really to be intimate with each other. So of course comes down to it. We've, we've done all the practices and we're moving in the space where like the whole dome clears and two men at a time can go in. And, uh, I'm not sure who it was. Was it me or you or one of us, I think was like, Hey, we should do this. You know, you and I should do this. Yeah. And we step in and they're like, Oh, the brothers from the Canadian Island, <laughs> like this whole, uh, mythical battle between you and I. And we got it on video as well, but there was just this really cool moment because, you know, Ian, you and I, a lot of what we do, I would say is, I want to say it's like pretty cerebral, like 
it's a place where I, I feel like you and I really jive and we don't wrestle regularly. Um, we hug and, and that sort of thing. But this was this like invitation to descend down a little bit. And, uh, it was such a great moment of like play and like really being able to bring this, this physicality with each other. And we both got scraped up and we're like bleeding and I totally won. <laughs> <laughs> That's contested, but it was, a, I mean, it was a well fought, um, dance. It was a good effort by Ian. <laughs> I am, by the way, a white belt, one stripe in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So. I was I was aware of that stepping in, but I did take Hap Keto for four years, ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a well well danced draw. That's that's what I think. We will debate it long into <laughs> our into our days. Who won that mythical fight? But that was just a really beautiful moment, and um, yeah, just another another thing uh, from from that time that was really special. Mm-hmm. Um, there we, there was plenty of moments there that were that were great, but that was that was really cool. So. Yeah. Well, afterwards, when we returned home, um, I think we were, were in the last few weeks of our men's circle that we had been running, and we did bring back some of the ingredients that we felt you know could be held by that group. Um, and I think the seed from that also uh, stirred uh, this idea to hold a little more immersive men's time, uh, which by a, a month or two later was called the Mythic Men's Weekend. And so invited some of the men that were in the group and then a few others from the local region and really um, bringing in, you know, again, in a shorter time, but, but a more like intense uh, process, an intense ritual process with the men that, again, I think brought just a level of, um, I don't know, revealing the, the co-capacity that we developed um, reflected in the men who, who were just completely floored by what showed up and how it showed up. Um, and the, the, the image that came, um, in relation to this idea of being able to be in, in a, in a relationship with emergence, um, was riding the dragon, right? There were many times when we were like, whoa, whoa, like big energies would come in the room and we really had to, to ride that energy in a good way. Um, and I can really see how there's lots of examples where, you know, kind of energy can come into a space, not just kind of group process, but any situation and, without the capacity to to ride it, it can really go awry and it can, I don't know, be traumatized and it can do lots of things. But I really feel, again, reflected in the men's experiences and their gratitude that there was something that really was achieved in that time. Definitely. Definitely. I think that was, I think for you and I, that was the height of our collaborative tracking of emergent energies. Um you know, we really were both on our A game. And, and, and of course there was a whole, there's a whole slew of, of, of men there. And, and there was, everyone is bringing their gifts in different ways. And, and there was moments where maybe gifts were being called upon by you, you and I, um, and we were holding one of the main facilitation seats for sure, but it was a collaborative effort with everyone there. So everyone, everyone brought mm-hmm. their, their best, and I would say we were cooking up the possibility of something to follow that when, you know, by March, uh, a little thing called coronavirus happened and um, I think dissolved any possibility that we had around some kind of uh, in-person gathering that we wanted to do. Um, and at the same time, um, the project that we were working on, you know, was went into its own kind of deep, intense uh, chemical phase during that time. 
um, of which culminated, you know, and again, so many things could be spoken to here, but just to say that, that, that project ended up closing by June. Um, we collectively put it down. Now, another strand that was happening alongside this though, of course, since, um, last November was the podcast, the mythic masculine podcast of which I'd started really based on, um, I think tracking culturally an absence of this conversation or the conversation around masculinities using a mythological lens that, you know, in my own uh, experience from reading Iron John uh, and going back to the previous teachers or what felt like um, this first wave mythopoetic men's movement, you know, Robert Bly and James Hillman, um, that whole era, I felt like as a, as a younger man, you know, I think around 35 at the time, I had never heard of it until, you know, I picked up Iron John through a, a really interesting story, you know, with my grandfather's things. But it was so surprising to me that I hadn't heard of it before because I was like, what? How did I not know about this? Right. And uh, in some ways, hearing about other men later, people like Martin Shaw, you know, they talk about this kind of wilderness years of the movement that happened sort of later 90s into the 2000s, where it did, it did kind of go underground. Like it felt like it just wasn't as relevant and sort of had its day in some ways. Um, and at the same time, through groups like Mankind Project still, you know, doing their thing and Sacred Sons um, and other groups that it felt like there was this second arising of an interest in, you know, mythic, in this mythic lens, you know, archetypes and all this stuff. And so I was just really curious. I was like, well, how do they not, how do the groups not really know each other that well? Or like, I, I really wanted to stop the youngers from reinventing or, or going through the same mistakes that a lot of the previous generation had figured out and maybe didn't know the gold that they were holding on to, right? That, that they could actually speak it to the youngers who are really, you know, inspired and want to run with it. But yeah, they could save them a lot of trouble and grief and, and share what they learned. So that in some ways was the origin of the podcast. Um, that, that, intention to weave the two generations and to also bring in a lot of the missing, missing voices and the missing uh, pieces of the tapestry, you know, uh, indigenous voices and voices from uh, less of a Eurocentric um, perspective that felt, you know, really important to, to bring to the conversation. Um, and so by the time uh, March ish rolled around, you know, I was a number of episodes in and a lot of people had written me saying, this is so interesting. Like I really wonder how to integrate this. That's, you know, this, this stirring that's happening. Uh, Mighty Networks was a platform that I'd been kind of tracking for a little while. And, um, you know, was curious if, if it would be useful to create some kind of online community where people could, um, could bring their questions and could speak with each other and just, you know, deepen in this. So I'd quietly been cooking that up. Uh, and then come like, I think June was really when our collective project was closing that it created a space for um, for you as well to turn more towards an interest, you know, in this being a collaborative something. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know, your first time kind of poking in there. I mean, I know you've been listening to the podcast, you know, since I've been doing it, but maybe as well, what was what was it that you were hearing from the conversations even that was also stirring you and exciting you? What to say about the podcast? I mean, hmm. In some ways, for me, it, it revealed uh, more of the depth of what you had been carrying and inquiring into over the years prior to our, our meeting. There was sort of like what you and I understood about men's work in, in the, in the uh, you know, handful of months that we had been collaborating. And then there was this, this deeper piece with, with community village making 
and, and a real like diversity of perspectives that I didn't know you were tracking so thoroughly. So it was a continuation of that invitation into, into the depth, this like unimaginable depth of what the work actually was. I mean, the, the podcast that's coming to mind, I think it's a little more recent, but, with, but the one with bio just rocked me. Like I cried during that when, when he said, uh, perpetual exile and the monsters in perpetual exile. I know is the name of the podcast, but this piece of like not having a home to return to. Yeah. The boys who had, who had ventured out to, to find their vision and, and return in, in service and contribute to their, to their home and to their community and how deeply true that felt for me. Like I wandered out and there was nowhere to go back to. So, I mean, it's, uh, I don't even, I don't know what to say about it. It's a deeply heart level thing that it, it stirs me. And it's a, a beacon into, into some place where, oh, I could actually, there's this whole ecosystem over here. This, you know, it's okay. Where to go with this? I'm going to talk a little bit about the network because one of the questions asked recently on the network was what were some of the existential questions that you wrestled with in your youth and how do they look now? And that, that question really brought up for me this, it really showed me there's this question I've been asking for a long time, which is what is actually worth doing? Like I want to contribute. Like I, I want to contribute to the world and to, and to, and to culture and to community. And I just was, there was nothing in, in the place I came from. I, I really was like, it doesn't seem to me that any of this is actually worth pursuing. And so the only option was to go. And, and I think part of what the, what the podcast is for me is it's a, it's a window or a door or, or a gateway into a world where there's a lot of things that are worth doing that really it, it places me it, it, it um it, it orients me in the world i'm i'm in a bigger story now you know the, so the podcast is part of that of course knowing you is part of that but i really feel like i am more and more embedded in a bigger story one that's big enough that my own personal whatever um can actually be released i, I can wrestle with questions that are bigger than me which I need that, you know, and men, I'm 30 years old and men my age and younger, they're desperate for that. Desperate. I mean, you know, we, we can look at the suicide rates for, for men, three to one. You know, it's serious. It's not a joke. It's like, you know, guys are dying. And, and why? You know, where, where do we fit? How, how do we wrestle with this? It's, it's so enormous. It's devastating. You know, guys are devastated. I have the privilege of being close enough with, with some younger men and I just, they, what to do? It's a question of what's worth doing. I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, but, um, no, I'd love to just tag on it. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, yeah. So appreciate the, the heart that you brought to that truth. I think that is, you're right that a lot of men, particularly younger men are wrestling with. And for me, what I see is it's essentially, I mean, it's a crisis of meaning, right? Where 
I think there's a certain degree of capacity to see through the veneer of the way it is or the the ways in which meaningful effort is put forth, um, you know, to be a, a captain of industry or make a lot of money or, you know, all these ways in which these, these, these things are meant to be valuable or and to seen inherently is worth doing. But anyone who's able to see through that veneer and then to see, you know, the cataclysmic um, reality of the biosphere in deep disarray and the, you know, debt ratio of nations, like all, there's so many ways to see it's, it's absurd the way it is. Um, but there's not a meaningful alternative presented for, for many. And I would actually make the case that this is concurrent with the absence of elders. And at least what we're talking about, say the dominant Western culture that they're the elders to me are the ones that hold the story, right? They're the ones that actually give orientation that they bind particularly youngers to a sense of what is meaningful to do. And in the absence of that, so many, uh, I was just talking about, may say young men in this example, so many are left to their own devices to find out what's meaningful, right? Which you hear right there, the, uh, I would call it the mal, uh, the maladaptation of the hero's journey to what I've just described. That is a symptom of the absence of eldership in the culture. This idea that the, you are supposed to find your own heroic self and carve out your meaning from your own life, blaze your own path, all that stuff. That's all adolescent elderless um, takes on things, right? Because my understanding of which I've been able to glean a little by being in spaces where there are functional eldership is that that's a ludicrous thing that, that you would look to the elders to say, Oh, this is worth doing. You know, this is the, how to feed that, which has fed you all of these things and bind you to that bigger story. So I just want to say that that's, that's actually the kind of undercurrent of um, the culture at large is that it's deeply um, in a crisis of meaning. And so it's, it's true that it's many come to that abyss, right. Of meaninglessness. Um, and many fall in actually because there's no functional alternative that actually says, no, 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 we do need you. And here's where we need you because this actually serves life. I think, you know, let's just say um, a kind of deep longing of the, of men is to be purposeful, right. Is to serve life. That's actually the deeper um, kind of noble longing that so many carry. Um, and in the absence of that, you're right. Then there's other ways in which we try to mask it through addiction or through yeah, numbing or violence or, depression and all the rest. And so, yeah, I'll say for me, story is one such way in which to begin to find out where one fits, you know, but again, without being necessarily prescriptive, I think that's the beauty of story and mythology specifically is that it's not a self-help book. Right. Um, and for all his uh, sort of massive notoriety, like Jordan Peterson, for example, has been credited with um, bringing a lot of meaning to particularly younger men. Um, and, you know, the book 12 Rules for Life to me seems brutally prescriptive, uh, you know, for one that I understand is also really um, enamored with mythology as he is too. I mean, I've just seen little bits of the book and I'm sure there's value for some people in it. But again, this idea that the answer is to be prescriptive about it is uh, is also, I feel like, kind of a wayward um, symptom again of, of a deeper missingness in the culture at large. So I just want to honor, I hear from you speaking from that abyss or from the edge of the abyss, which I think is really valuable for the listener to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm reminded of Martin Shaw. I think on your, on your episode with him, he says this bit of, uh, 
you know, we, we tell all the, all the kids that they can do whatever they want or, or um, they can be whatever they want to be. And, and what a, what an awful thing to say to someone. <laughs> and I really feel that I feel that in, in this moment of like, I don't want to uh, do whatever I want. I want to do what's mine to do really. And I need some help in figuring out what that really is. And, you know, that circles back to these moments with you of of you offering even these small reflections or these small invitations into something, you know, you're not my elder by any means, but you certainly in some ways were able to say, Hey, maybe this is what's yours to do. Have you looked deeper at this? There's something in you that is naturally um, gravitating towards this work. And maybe you want to dive in a little deeper. And I said yes to that. And and it's made all the difference in my, in my life. And maybe to say too, something about this prescriptive, you know, I had gotten very good at being prescriptive. I was like in my friend circles or even in the community I was living with, people would come to me and I would give advice. And the the well was running dry on on how how effective prescriptive advice could be again uh, martin shaw in in his course shout out bobby bailey and mystery school tv dot tv sorry uh, and the course is called the storyteller on there uh martin has this bit of oh what does he say it's like he he had uh I statements, I statements had lost their something. Yeah, you have to go and see it because I'm butchering it. But I felt that. I felt like, ah, oh, I can't keep only speaking from I statements. I need something bigger to actually express what I feel and what I'm aware of. And story and myth uh, was that opportunity where now a brother or a friend could come to me and, and be in some struggle or some moment in their life. And I could draw instead upon a story and not be like, Hey, this is what you need to see, or this is what you need to understand, or this is what you need to change. And more like, Hey, consider this. You're not the only one who's been through something like this. It's ancient, your struggle. And maybe there's something in you that in here that even I can't see that serves you. So the invitation to, to carry story and to carry myth is revolutionary mm-hmm. in, in my world. Um, and it enables my gifts in an entirely new way. So maybe that's what I would say about the podcast. And then we can get to the, to the network then. Um, you know, it's one thing to be invited in. I kind of think of it like this is like the weekend workshop. In some ways the podcast is like a weekend workshop. Okay. I get this big hit of like insight and, and metaphor and beauty, but now what, you know, I, I just listened to this in the car alone for an hour and who do I go talk to about this? Um, and I think that's really where the network came came online. And, and I was interested right away. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about this today because we were we were getting ready for the podcast, and I feel less like you invited me to be the community manager, and more like you just recognized what I was already doing in some ways because I was already leaning in and like, how can I help make this make this dope? Cause I really want this to be cool and it has such, such potential yeah, where, where to go from, from there. It'd be my question to you. Sure. And so we cooked away for a few months, I think, um, trying to, you know, figure out the platform, uh, you know, what, how it's best used, how it's different than a Facebook group, um, significantly. So, 
um, and also how the existing members would would want to use it. Um, because as people started to come in, you know, we just had a kind of an open invitation to the private beta, and people, you know, uh, willingly, gladly, were willing to contribute and give feedback and the rest. And we identified pretty early on there was a couple others that really were leaning in even further. Uh, people like Tanya and Gabriel and Alec, um, and I invited them into uh, and Bo and Bo. Bo was a later addition, but uh, right, grateful to have Bo there too. Um, into a bit of a mythic uh, inner circle of, of just those that could help steward the, the the village in training. It really is what it feels like. Um, and so I've been really grateful to have that that vessel, you know, within to, to field questions, to wonder about, you know, how it could go. And so um, we built to, I guess what it is now, September. Yeah, and I think we, we understood at a certain point, we're like, okay, we've still been kind of behind the scenes and it felt like the time was coming to come forth with a more official announcement that, Hey, you know, this is a thing and we'd love to invite you in. Yeah. Maybe I, I feel like I'm holding um, a certain heart level share uh, here today. So I just speak about my experience on there. One, I mean, to say is different from Facebook is an understatement. I remember early on when the network was kind of still just getting rolling and I sometimes would have Facebook open in one tab and then the mythic masculine network in the other tab. And the, the shift in my experience, like flipping between the two, I mean, Facebook is just this like noise machine now. How much meaningful conversation is anyone really having on there? Especially now, like it was one thing when the network first launched and now the, the polarization on Facebook is mind numbing. And so even in a closed group, I think the actual capacity to have meaningful conversation, let alone something that's really going to like transform your, your life's experience is almost non-existent at this point. And so then shifting over to the network and here's all these people who, who are signing on to say like, yes, I want to talk about myth and yes, I want to talk about masculinity. And surprisingly, a lot of women are, are coming and I would say older women, 50s, 60s, 70s. So I've had these small moments where, uh, where like a, a woman who I'd say is like an elder um, has said something small on something that I've shared. You know, someone said the other day, oh, what a sensitive writer you are. And it's like one of those moments again of like, oh my God, what I would give to just have some older wisdom keepers acknowledge me, like how much that soothes me, how much it allows me to root into my place, to feel I belong, I am seen, you know, I am encouraged in being myself. I'm having those experiences on there. I am invited to appreciate poetry and we had a question on there of like what's one of your favorite poems and the the outpour of of richness the and how moving it is i mean what a refreshing experience to be moved by something i see on a social network i mean other than having a good laugh at some high quality memes on facebook there's not a lot there for me anymore and so I can't overstate the the quality of people and the quality of conversation and the general, uh, genuine, sorry, upliftment of each other. It's really a generative space. 
and it's not about you, Ian, <laughs> right? And it's not about me Thankfully. and it's not about any of the stewards. It's really about all of us and, and how quickly people are coming in and just sharing their own gifts, bringing their own pieces. And it's being like, again, authentically witnessed by other people. They're being moved by it and they're offering this like upliftment, support, acknowledgement, witnessing. Now, all of that to say it's still in this, I, I mean, it's still this mysterious kind of thing. I think we have some handle. Again, this, this what you said earlier, structure and wildness. I think we've brought in some really suitable structure and maybe we can talk about what kind of things people can expect to see on there. But there is this invitation to the mystery ever present. Part of what Mighty Networks actually invites for people that you know, have their own, build their own communities on it is to come up with what they call the big purpose. And, uh, I think for us, we spent some time there wondering, you know, like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, you know, is it simply a place to just come talk about some things around masculinity and myth? Like, yes. And what I've been really grateful for is as we've leaned more into this question and wondered about it, like, what are we, what are we actually doing? I mean, a lot of really interesting frames, a lot of interesting perspectives have emerged around, particularly around this kind of sensually um, mythic approach to something. And and we've even used this image of like tracking, you know, this great mysterious beast and not tracking in the sense of needing to hunt as in tracking to kill, but, but sort of following uh, along the footsteps or along the, the wisps of its presence that we're tracking. And it seems to have something to do around this, um, this willingness to tend the masculine in a different way in this culture or the conversation that has been largely in this culture around things like toxic masculinity um, as this sort of, you know, we don't want this or men are just, you know, flawed or whatever. Like I'm not saying that these are the arguments that are actually at the heart of some of the very important critiques, but oftentimes that ends up where, or it seems to be where we end up. And so in some ways it, it doesn't really offer any pathway. It feels like towards any other kind of masculinity um, and certainly not one that's rooted in a, in a kind of cultural framework of which, you know, when I've interviewed particularly the uh, indigenous guests on the show, they're able to speak from a cultural reality about how, um, what a culture places around certain traits, uh, certain traits around men or what they consider masculine um, are, are sort of mitigated or encouraged towards certain ends, towards certain um, ways of being in relation, you know, with each other, with the land and the rest. And so again, without these frameworks, it can become really, um, difficult to try to understand, yeah, like where are we, where are we headed? Um, and so I've been really encouraged by the network's capacity to, yeah, to like collectively approach this mystery of like one, what happened whereby this is where we are, you know, like what happened to the, the masculine, um, not as some kind of universal cause, necessarily, but a really capacity to like principally um, and, and capably wonder, you know, in a, in a meaningful way. And I'll give a, you know, large nod of appreciation to my time in the Orphan Wisdom School uh, with Stephen Jenkinson. That's his school um, and his uh, partner, Natalie, um, whereby certainly I've learned a lot of these skills and seen a lot of this modeled in that school around this ability yeah, to, to wonder meaningfully and, and achievedly about things. Um, and certainly that's showing up here and maybe in the best moments it would, it would show up here. So that's a big part of it. Um, and I think that as people come in and, and sort of find themselves amongst each other 
in a way of like, hey, you're here. We're like, whoa, you're here. Like there's this really beautiful um, kind of co-creative field of both an etiquette around, around, you know, what we're doing and also, yeah, a kind of, um, a kind of nourishment that's happening that, again, I think a lot of people that stumble in maybe didn't know that they were looking for. And maybe that certainly was the case for me, you know, when I stumbled earlier on into uh, mythology, uh, in men's work. And, and as you've spoken earlier, even in this podcast as well, that seemed to be the case for you. Yeah, that's a, a huge theme for me. I didn't know I was looking for this. And, and that's exactly what the, the network is like for me. Oh, I didn't even know I needed this. And I couldn't have imagined uh, this would be something that could matter in this way. The, one of the things we say in The Big Purpose is we're, we're gathering together to develop the capacity to think see, feel, and speak mythically. And that is a huge statement and maybe important to make it clear that that development is not something that uh, we are claiming or like a prescriptive thing, like come and be part of this prescriptive development. But this more like a courting, like all of us together are courting in and anchoring each other toward a, I would say like a practice really. There's something, there's something about even going on there and, and, and being in a comment thread. It asks me to communicate in a, in a way that's more thoughtful, that's more open to imagery over concept. I think that's one of the things for me and, and really just seeing how other people are, people who are, I would say are more achieved than me in those sort of skills. We call it, talk about honeyed tongue. Um, that's a pretty new concept for me, but I see it now. So I have actually am developing more of a capacity to see for sure. And, and in that recognition, those uh, faculties, would that be right to say, <laughs> are, are awakening in me. It's it's really like being in a different environment, and maybe listeners have this experience of of the effort it is to try and change something in isolation without other people around you practicing that, and the ease that comes when you're in a collective environment that's all doing the same thing. And I think that's probably one of the, the core benefits of what of what is happening there. I would love to share a little bit for the listener, like what, what, how it actually runs, like what, how is it, um, from, uh, this recent launch and going forward? Yeah, I guess that would be for me to answer then as the community manager, <laughs> uh, how is it run? So maybe talk about some of the rhythm, yeah. the rhythm of the network. Yeah. Which is a really important piece. Um, the broader container of the rhythm is actually a yearly cycle. And that yearly cycle is broken down into 12 monthly themes. Within the monthly theme, each week, we have a number of offerings that you can count on, let's say. So on Mondays, we do what's called the Monday Wonder, which is a question presented from the hosts and the stewards related to the theme. Uh, and everyone is invited to share a piece on that. So, for example, the first month's theme is uh, the wild roots of the mythopoetic men's movement. So, we're taking a look back at at, uh, at men like Robert Bly 
James Hillman, Michael Mead. So there's the the Monday Wonder. We have it on Tuesdays. There's an invitation to practice or embody. Often it's related to what we're doing on the Monday Wonder. Like, how does this actually come into your world? How do you embody and express this through your your whole self? So that inquiry is there to see like, hey, take this out into the world, bring back your data and share it and let's refine. One of the other cool things I'm really excited about is this next week, we're doing our first ever uh, online council or circle. Uh, And that's going to be hosted by myself and by Tanya, one of the other mythic stewards. And that's an open sharing space. Like come in and and let's practice being in a heart-centered expression together. And we're going to be doing that every week. Some of the other, there's some other things cooking up that are top secret, but maybe we could share a little bit. You could share. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one is to have uh, screenings, you know, live screenings within the network, uh, particularly uh, more recently, there's a, there's a Robert Bly documentary, um, which was fantastic. And we'd love to create the space in the community as part of the membership for people to watch together and then to reflect upon and, you know, dig um, after the fact together. There's so much energy and so much passion that emerges from, having a place to go with these things that I think has been largely absent. Again, going back to the cultural conversation at large, I, I haven't known where there's a place to have these kinds of conversations to, in a, in a um, respectful way. Maybe that's it too. And a respectful way and to bring in myth in such a, such a meaningful, um, meaningful way. Yeah. I feel called to bring up the, uh, the topics right now. Uh-huh, sure. I, I really love that about um, the Mythic Masculine Network. So within Mighty Networks, you have this ability to create topics, which is you can tag a post under a topic, basically. And the route we went, thanks to your never-ending genius, Ian, <laughs> uh, was to actually make the topics a, a spatial the, the language to be spatial and sensually based, rather than like, okay, this topic is about initiation instead we have the underworld Mm. and so in the underworld is where you might find these these conversations happening and then there's the hearth where people share mythologies and stories and we unpack and uh, explore those together the garden to talk about eros and sexuality and relationship and the tavern which i i love the tavern just casual what is alive for you? Maybe something more akin to like, you know, posting your Facebook status or something or inviting in just a, a good old time with, with other folks. And so I love this approach of like really the more and more I'm on there, it feels like a place. Mm. It doesn't feel like I'm just uh, interacting with a screen. It feels like I'm interacting in a place like these mythical hallways. They open up into chambers and and mysterious locations and in each of those places i find other people who are exploring what's available in those spaces i want to take the opportunity to circle back to the wild element Mm. so these are the structural pieces and these are the things you can really count upon and they are i suppose the the edges of the container that is the network for me, and I think for most of our other members at this point, the beauty is really a lot of it is coming from the, the wildness. I think what is most striking for me is what other people are naturally bringing to the network. 
that's that's happening maybe it's happening in a structured post or whatever but sometimes it's just like hey i did this writing like two years ago and i haven't really shown it to a lot of people and i feel like this is a place that i can show it this work that has been dormant hidden almost from the world has a place to be brought into the light and this diverse group of people multi-generational really is is taking a look is taking it in is acknowledging is having some thoughtful pieces to say is encouraging the further development and and there's that quality of what we cannot predict that is coming forward that's really making the space something special i would say and another piece too, which I think has been really profound to recognize is um, hearing, especially again from the older generation uh, and particularly older women that have said, you know, having been around the second wave feminist movement, that they felt perhaps the, the significant absence of men during that time and that they recognize in the way that the men are showing up uh, on the network, at least with the sense of like, oh, wow, you really, I don't know, developed a capacity or a sensitivity um, uh, ability to be in the presence of, you know, tougher things or, you know, levels of emotion or all this stuff. And, you know, in some ways I look at that and I say, okay, wow, well, the, maybe the previous generation, you know, that, that was initially a response to the second wave of, of men's work, the ones that were willing to, like we said, the earlier mythopoetic wave to do that kind of work initially. Um, we are the beneficiaries of, um, that we've we've been able to have that opportunity to integrate more and to be able to sensitize more and to show up more. Um, and so the fact that it is a mixed gender space in the community has actually, um, it, it feels like it's healing something that um, was still like a wound, uh, certainly in the, in the previous generation, it seems. And even just at large, like the kind of relation between the genders at large, like there's this actual capacity of, of healing that is, again, it's a mysterious alchemy that I wouldn't have predicted with the network and yet seems to be uh, what is occurring. One of the final pieces to mention uh, with the network is we will be launching what we're at least initially calling a mythic primer, which will be a sort of five to six week online course within the network that people can join, uh, which will guide them through the, the foundations of this mythic landscape. Uh, you know, culturally, uh, historically, some elements of the of a practicality, but also to join with others who maybe are also just learning about this right for the first time, um, and to come to a shared language, a shared understanding, which will also help orient you to the to the network at large. The primary is included with a monthly subscription uh, to the network, of which is offered either as a as a monthly or an annual amount, which you can check out uh, the network to subscribe. And I think we're about done our conversation for today. I'm really appreciating the, uh, you know, the space to wonder about, to hear more of how we came together to appreciate that and to speak more about, you know, what's emerged with the network. And Dan, I wonder if you might offer one last invitation to the listener who may be considering joining us. Certainly. First of all, my gratitude to anyone who's hung on, uh, through the whole thing here with me again, you know, my first time uh, on a podcast. So I really appreciate that uh, others would be willing to, to listen and to hear what I have to say as well. I- I'm feeling this, this, this piece right now of this moment for me is a reflection of the generativity of the network. 
I have this opportunity for the first time to be heard in such a way. And that's really what I'm seeing happening uh, on the network. Some people, it's not their first time being heard or, or they actually are quite achieved in, in uh, their, their life's pursuits or, or their contribution to, to this field or to this ecosystem that we're, we're on about here. But there's also this quality of people who are like just on the come up, I would say, and, and, and them having a space to, to be beckoned in further or, or uplifted further as it already said. So this is an in- invitation for me to anyone who's still listening. If you're intrigued at all by what you hear, I really encourage you to come over and check it out. And as the community manager, I'm, I'd be the person you'd be interacting with, you know, if if technical stuff or just like, how do I go about this or any questions, the, the, I'll be the person to help you land and, and, and find your, your little tent on the edge of the world here, uh, in our, in our mythical chambers. And so this is genuinely from, from the bottom of my heart, I really want to encourage right now in this moment, especially younger men, you know, it's an invitation for everyone, but also like younger men who maybe are a little bit unsure about this, or it's all kind of new. It's a place where you can step in and and express your, your, your courage in putting your voice out there in, in being willing to be humble and to, and to learn from some, some folks who who've walked some of these paths already. There, there's something about the network it's so obvious how much we need each other in there. I love that sense of shared responsibility to other people. And if that's something that for you, maybe there's a desire to have more spaces like that in your life. I really feel like there's something here for you. If you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy Ian and what he's bringing to the world, there's a lot of unearthed gold waiting here and we're really just getting started and the the people who are coming in now their voices are instrumental in in what we're doing so if there's an inkling in you you know um i'll take the opportunity to beckon you as i have been beckoned to step in and, and see what might be here for you as well so again just to finish with my thanks to to everyone who's listened and, and my thanks to you again ian for all that you've been for me and um, your willingness to ride the dragon and to, to, to more of that. I'm really excited about this. I have a place I have, I I'm being put to good use finally. So to all that has conspired in my favor and, and in yours and to all those who, who've listened with us today, uh, my thanks, my gratitudes. And I guess until next time, you're going to have me on again. <laughs> no doubt. We're going to have you read uh, the latest rendition of Beowulf, of which I've been getting teasers in the kitchen, and uh, it's been pretty great. Bro, shout out to, I think her name is Maria Headley, who wrote that translation of Beowulf. I've never read Beowulf, and this translation is incredible. It's so accessible. It's so readable. Literally, the words dude and bro (laughs) and hashtag blessed are are in the text there it's i picked it up and immediately i'm called to read it aloud to the wilds mm. so i don't know if that's going to make it in but. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned once again thanks for listening this is ian and uh 
See you inside. Music cue.